Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It's Wednesday, May 31, 2023. That's it. Today's the last day. I don't know, whatever your May Day plans were 30 days ago. May Day, May Day, May Day. It's um it's done. Today's it. So <clears throat> check it off, get it done. <sighs> I don't know. Get ready to turn the page of your calendar. Does your family have a calendar hanging on the wall somewhere? Where, you know, like it's a big deal tomorrow morning. Like who gets to turn the page of the calendar? kind of fun. Um, As you turn the page of the calendar, maybe consider how you're going to give the month that now was to the Lord and give the month that now will be to the Lord and acknowledge his goodness and his grace in the midst of all of it. It's a good time to review the month that's passed and, you know, how, how God did on the, in terms of the return on his investment in each of us. You know, God makes this deposit in us of the Holy Spirit, and he expects us to make something of that, not just to, you know, bury it, but to actually um, have it grow into a flourishing life, a fruitful life uh, under unto him. And so, you know, every single day, every single week, every single month, uh, every quarter, every year, you know, God expects to get a return on his investment. So how, how, how'd that go in the month of May? Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. This is a a declaration of who God is. And so we're going to settle in on a conversation here about the character of God. So what do you know about God? What do you know to be true of God? Um, If someone were to ask you, who is God? You know, how would you describe God? How would you describe his character and his characteristics. The psalmist says here, Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is rich in love. The Lord is good to all. The Lord has compassion on all he has made. So as an exercise today, what if, you know, you just took a blank sheet of paper, you know, back of an envelope, fold over a piece of paper that's already in the trash, you know, and make a list. And it just, every line just starts with God is. And then just for a moment, acknowledge the fact that you know that God is and that that in and of itself is extraordinary. God is. What would our lives be like? What would the world be like if God were not? But in fact, God is. And what would the world be like if God wasn't as he is, but if God were unconcerned or disconnected or malevolent, but he's not. God is revealed and God is creative creator. God is life giving life. God is love giving love. God is power sharing power. God is one um, and God is in relationship and relates to the creation that he's made. God's relatable, maybe is a way of thinking about that. 
God is the redeeming redeemer, the faithful father, the gracious grace giver, the good good giver, the wise counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. You know how to do this. God is alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and end, the living one. God is holy and God is love. God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. I mean, you could make the list, list there of the, of, of the omnis, the, you know, the God is all in all. And as the psalmist notes today, God is gracious and God is compassionate. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is the Lord and he's good to all. God has compassion on all he has made because, well, God's a gospel God. Redemption is his way. It's who he is. God's going to be God. You can count on that today. So what do you know about the character of God? And what do you know about God that somebody else might need to hear today who knows God not? In a world that knows God not, those who know God have a very special opportunity. So who do you know that needs to know the God you know today? Think of this as Witness Wednesday. And remember that you are his witness, not only to the ends of the earth, but to your nearest neighbor that person who you see right now or are going to see next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. And we're going to see if we can answer the question, is there really anything left to conserve? If you think of yourself as a conservative, what are you conserving? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is joining us. Uh, he teaches at Grove City College. He also aggregates something called the Water Dipper at FrontPorchRepublic.com. And that means that every week, Jeff um, is reading widely and then is recommending some of the things that he's reading to those of us who might otherwise not be reading what he is reading. That's pretty much what's going on here. So um, I love the things that Jeff uh, puts together at the Water Dipper um, at frontporchrepublic.com, and I want to bring a few of those things forward in our conversation today. Jeff, happy um, happy last day of May. Likewise, Carmen. It's a beautiful day here. It's a, it's a, well, we're, we woke up this morning, and the Lord is on the throne, so it's a beautiful day. That's, that's right. That's what I'm going with. So one of the things you have in the Water Dipper um, this week is another piece by uh, Paul Kings North, and I'm going to let you remind us who he is. But the piece is called, Is There Anything Left to Conserve? Um, And I think what he's lifting up here is the reality that when we talk about being conservative and we talk about the things that we want to conserve, it's possible that, that, you know, when we're trying to save the West, right, or we're trying, we don't want the, we don't want like Western ideals to go away. We are not necessarily even in touch with what that means, so um, remind us who Paul Kings North is, and then walk us into this piece. Is there anything left to conserve? Sure. Paul is a uh, British writer. He lives in Ireland now and uh, was kind of a, on, the, on the vanguard of uh, kind of dark ecology, dark environmentalism, kind of a pessimistic, pretty radical environmentalism in the UK. And then a couple of years ago, um, he converted quite dramatically to Orthodox Christianity and has been kind of um, you know, working out the implications of that religious conversion for his politics and his uh, views of creation. And uh, Unheard asked him and some other people 
to address that question, right? What should we conserve? And in this piece, I think you see his Christian commitments come through as he kind of peels back the layers. You know, what are we trying to conserve? Where are we trying to go back? And so often the things that we might reflexively want to conserve are themselves uh, contaminated with different uh, idolatries. Uh, and we should be careful not to to just go back to a previous um, time and, and exchange one idol for another, but there's a, a requirement to go back to... Um, to our need to to be in right relationship with God and to build a culture and an economy around around that right commitment. And so I love the way he ends this piece. He says, what can we do when there's nothing left to conserve? Pray. And I think that um, religious foundation for right restoration is, uh, is a really important reminder. Um, that's a posture conversation, I think, no. as much as anything. And I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about what he's talking about. Like we can we can have conversations about ideas and approaches and, um, you know, changes to law. And uh, we, we could have those conversations all day long. Um, but in every single one of those, we imagine that we're in charge. We imagine that, you know, we are um, the ones that are going to make it happen. And. When I'm in a posture of prayer, when I recognize that, you know, what I have is that I am created in the image of the living God and that all that is now and all that has ever been and all that will ever be is ultimately in relationship to him. And so the best and most powerful thing that I could ever do is pray um, and, you know, acknowledge that God is God and um, he is actually working out his sovereign will in the context of uh, of human history. And it's really hard for me to imagine where I am in that because I, I'm not God, even though that's what we, as as Paul points out in this piece, consciously making ourselves. Like yeah. when he talks, I mean, that's one of the things that really stood out to me. Like we... We think we're making ourselves. We think we're making our own life. We think we're making our own culture. We, you know, and and remaking things in our image. And it's a it's about a posture and a perspective as much as it is, you know, about what we say and do every day. That's right. And and you know, he links it back to uh, the Tower of Babel. The you know, we, we are going to build a tower to the heavens, and we're going to reach God on our own and uh, make our own reality. And as long as that's our posture, uh, it's going to be going to be building done awry. And I, and I, you know, last week was Pentecost, which is the Christian, the New Testament response to the Tower of Babel, where the Holy Spirit comes down and um, brings about understanding rather than confusion. So it's a good, I suppose, a timely reminder to uh, take stock and uh, examine our hearts to see which ways we might be contributing to a, a tower of Babel rather than uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, do you have a summer reading list? Uh, I do, although it's you know, sort of a mix of fun reading and research reading. That's good. I'm just, just checking. I, cause I, I just I, read I, I, uh, History of the Island by Eugene Bodoloskin this week. Whew, that book is amazing. So I, I, I got lots just, of joy. 
I think just by the fact that you can pronounce that individual's name, <laughs> um, you get you get you get an A in your summer reading. I didn't right. say it was we're, correct. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know. So That's we're right. gonna uh, continue our conversation here with Jeff Bilbro in just a moment. Um, do you ever feel like, as a person who lives in rural America, which you know may or may not be who you are or where you live, but I'm going to address those living in rural America right now. Um, I, I include myself as a person who lives in rural America, even though I live in pretty close proximity to a major metropolitan um, growing city in the United States. But, you know, I live on a working farm. Um, in fact, uh, last night when we got home after sunset, I had to go corral the four new little calves who decided to just walk through the fence. So um, rural, I want to talk for a minute about rural America. We're going to look at a number of um, uh, of things that are overlooked about rural America. And I'm going to ask Jeff to particularly bring into focus for us the treatment and the rhetoric surrounding rural communities and rural people in the media. Like, are you tired of the way that the media talks about you as a person who lives in rural America? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. We're talking with Professor Jeff Bilbro. One of the books that Jeff wrote is Reading the Times, a Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. And so um, when we look at this uh, Overlooked America, a symposium um, published by the University of Richmond Law Review, and in that, one of the uh, articles contained um, in this very, very long um, uh I mean, it's a magazine-length summary of what took place uh, at this symposium. Um, One of the pieces in here caught my attention in particular, and that is, uh, with a wink and a nod, how... Oh, nope, that's the one on coal. Um, Let me scroll down. Um, The treatment uh, of and rhetoric surrounding rural communities in the media. And so, um, Jeff, when you think about the ways in which the media tend to talk about rural communities and people who live in rural communities. Um, this this is an important conversation because it's not that we feel overlooked. It's not that we feel like we live in flyover country and nobody's paying attention to us. They like have active disdain for us. And it's as if they don't know that like this is where their food comes from. Yeah, that's right. And it, it, there there are um, it's I think several people like to claim this, but um, you know, it may be one of the last acceptable prejudices to be held mm. right that it's okay to to hate on people in the country as backwards or um unenlightened in some fashion and, and i think this is a nice article because it tackles some of the maybe myths or at least um you know substantial falsifications about why rural america is a problem you know they talk about like um electoral college and and disproportionate representation of rural people and how the rural uh, communities get all the federal funding and it's not fair. And, um, and they really take those apart. And uh, I suppose, where does your food come from is, is a good summary. Um, But, but they also just say that this is not a productive, um, this kind of resentment is not a productive basis for getting to know our fellow citizens and thinking about public policy. Um, so they say it's not just uh, wrong, but it's really counterproductive to um, to understanding our shared 
challenges and our shared common ground in a literal sense. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm definitely a if you ate today, thank a farmer bumper yeah. sticker kind of person. Um, this uh, this entire um, magazine, uh, this overlooked America uh, symposium published by the University of Richmond Law Review. If you guys uh, want me to send you a link, um, you're going to have to, I guess, shoot me an email. Our text line still not working, so I apologize for that. Shoot me an email, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. I'll, I'll send you the links from today's show. Um, Jeff, there's, um, there's a lot, uh, yeah. there's a lot in here. And so, um, we might have to circle back cause I, at some point want to talk about this, um, this idea of, uh, rural America as a commons, but I don't want to skip the opportunity to talk to you, uh, today about, um, what Molly Worthen wrote, exploring the possibility that colleges and universities might actually need to, uh, return to their roots as monastic schools. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, like the need for higher ed to actually reconsider its own roots and maybe return to some of its former patterns? Yeah, and I, I assume you've talked about Molly's uh, quite dramatic conversion that she has talked about publicly in recent weeks. We have um, not. Oh, We've okay. Not. Well, so, I mean, so I, Molly... our listeners probably don't even know who Molly Worthen is. Oh, okay. I mean, I think Molly Worthen is just a beautiful example of um, of an individual who counters so many of the uh, narratives uh, about American culture. That she's a uh, very prominent historian at the University of North Carolina who studies American evangelicals and 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 that kind of sociological perspective on Christianity as an as a outsider. And uh, she talked about how when she was interviewing J.D. Greer, the, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he, for a story she was working on, he uh, he witnessed to her, basically, and, and kind of challenged her to think about Christianity not just as a subject of study, but as something that might be true. And she sort of, uh, you know, wrote back a list of all of the reasons why she had intellectual questions. And, uh, he sent her things to read and dialogue with her. I think Tim Keller got involved at one point, and she had she she pursued these questions seriously, and became convinced of the historicity of the resurrection, and uh, and was baptized. And she talks about how uh, her academic training led her to uh, to approach questions of faith in that way. Right? I I need to see if this is true, look at the evidence, and if it is, got to change my mind. And that's, I think, the best of what um, the university can offer us, right? A kind of approach toward seeking the truth wherever it might be found. And even while that might be rare at, at uh, colleges that are kind of credential machines these days, it's it's still there. And, um, and this essay that she just wrote in the New York Times is a kind of defense of those pockets where um, despite all of the noise that uh, bombards us when we're connected to the internet all the time, and despite the tendencies that students might have to think about college as just a, uh, a possibility to gain a credential, a lot of students are still hungry for deep thinking, for wrestling with complex ideas, uh, for seeking the truth together uh, with good books and a, a wise guide. And so she looks at these different classes that are offering students 
an excuse really to unplug from the internet or to be silent for a month <laughs> or to do these kind of monastic practices as part of uh, intellectual formation and, and discipline. Um, all right. So now I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to read all these pieces that um, that are out there and these conversations yeah. um, with Molly Worthen. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing here one, I mean, a 90 minute conversation with Colin Hansen at the Gospel Coalition and um, and others as well. So um, yeah, that I'm conversation gonna... will will just uh, it will make you cry, Carmen. It's an amazing story. Mm. I love that. Okay, well, now you've given me so much fodder for the day. <laughs> uh, as always, Jeff, thank you so much. I feel like this is a, a part of um, a part of the gift that you bring uh, is that you're listening and reading widely, and and then you bring us um, things that are worthy of our time and attention. So, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Now that's Jeff Brilbro. You can find him at Grove City College. You can find him at FrontPorchRepublic.com. Uh, he aggregates something called the Water Dipper. Great things to be uh, reading and listening to as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and I am uh, adding now to my listening and reading list uh, in terms of the conversion story of Molly Worthen. Yeah, isn't that exciting? I just love that. God's doing all the good. Let's uh, take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. Okay, I want, I want us to just pause for just a moment and... Consider how extraordinary um, what Jeff Bilbro just shared with us is and how under the radar it is. I mean, I feel like I pay pretty close attention to not only what's going on in the world, but to the world of evangelicalism and and to the world of um, of journalism. And yet I completely missed this. And so just in the last few minutes, we've talked about two conversion stories. I mean, two really highly educated, successful academics uh, Paul Kings North and Molly Worthen, and both of them now have these conversion testimonies. Both of them have come to faith in Jesus Christ it, f- fairly recently. I mean, Molly Molly Worthen very recently, and Paul Kings North just in the last few years. And I, I mean, we ought to think about that for just a moment. I mean, if you ever are just tempted to just say, you know what, just cursed be this world in which we live and the times in which we live and the the people who are teaching what feels like nonsense from time to time, God is still working. He is active. He is powerful. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The knee is bending. I mean, there's this redemptive arc over all of human history. We live in a gospel universe God's not wrong when he says the day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so today will be the day of salvation for people around the world. I mean, how might God want to use you to bear positive witness and testimony to somebody who is just right on the edge, right on the verge of saying, you know what, I'm I'm dead and I'm done living a dead life and I want to be alive again. Can I be reborn? And you would be the person who would say, yes, that's, that's not only possible, that's the offer, that's the possibility. Like, I've been reborn. Here's my story. You can be reborn. Here's how that happens. Um, I mean, how amazing would it be for each of us to have the opportunity today 
to stand in that space and that place with another human being. It doesn't just change their life here and now. It, I mean, eternity has changed. I just, it's a, it's a forever change. So I, I live with that expectation today. Let us live today with the expectation that God is going to set divine appointments where we will have the opportunity to bear positive public witness about his character and his ways and invite others or be standing there when they set their foot on the path of the way of truth and life, right? All right, uh, around the world, there is a, a lot to concern ourselves with and a, and a lot about which we are concerned, not least of which the ongoing war um, between Russia and Ukraine. Um, and so just a quick update there, um, uh, drone attacks in Moscow, that is obviously, you know, deep at the heart of Russia. And you say to yourself, I thought this was a war in Ukraine. Well, this is now... Um, This is now escalating. And so that is a cause of concern and a cause of prayer. Uh, Kiev denies uh, that the drones, you know, were theirs. And it was very minor damage that was done. But it's it's, it's a big deal. And so um, let's be lifting up the Middle East, where there are many hot spots, including Israel. Let's lift up the ongoing war in Ukraine. And now let's lift up this escalation Uh, of that war in terms of what's going on in Moscow. Um, So lots going on in the world. The person we love best to talk with about all that's going on in the world and what's happening with Christians is Ruth Kramer. So uh, she's going to join us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ruth Kramer is joining us now from Mission Network News. You can find all the headlines we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. For folks who have not been paying attention, uh, Turkey had an unprecedented runoff election. Could you tell us uh, what has happened and maybe concerns that it raises for you? Well, really not a lot happened. I mean, the the uh, constituency voted to keep the status quo. So President Erdogan will be entering his third term, another five years, uh, with him in office. And um, essentially, nothing is going to change for believers. Uh, As we have been tracking some of the changes that have been occurring, they've been very subtle, um, because Erdogan is actually still trying to curry public favor in the sense that he's trying to um, get into the European Union, and so he's trying to improve the human rights records. Um, so on paper, things are looking like they're changing. Uh, things look like they improved a little bit. But during this campaign, uh, he went he went on to court the the nationalists and really campaigned on security issues, and and frequently, uh, the religious minorities in Turkey uh, are um, blamed for the insecurity, the national identity issues. Um, You know, the saying is that to be Turk is to be Muslim and to be Muslim is to be Turk. And that is something that Erdogan wholly embraces. So that's what's happening there Um, in the sense of where we're seeing like official persecution. There really isn't uh, a, a, a line where you can say this is governmental 
persecution. They just do it subtly, like um, denying visas uh, for expats who are coming in and out of the country and are connected to ministry. There's a lot of uh, paperwork that suddenly ties up people who've been involved with ministry. Um, and then the government finds ways to um, legally kick the gospel workers out of the country. And these are expats because it's a situation where they're saying this is a national security issue. Um, you're not one of us, so you need to go home. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've been seeing uh, increasing over the last couple of years. So that leads to the question, you know, what happens to the national church when all the gospel workers are being kicked out or they're they're being uh, slowly, um, um, I guess, not suffocated is probably too strong a word, but slowly um, removed from the Turkish uh, consciousness. And that means the national church will have to stand up or ministries that um, uh, beam in discipleship content over the borders like Sat7 or like radio that comes in. Um, these are the things that are going to encourage the national body and keep on praying for believers because uh, things do get very tense. The persecution doesn't usually come from the government level. Uh, it comes at the family level or the employment level or the community level. When people find out that someone has become a follower of Christ, they are looked at as um, kind of, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you a patriot? Um, you, you've lost your sense of Turkishness um, and who is this Jesus? But at the same time, there are gospel opportunities because as we saw before, when you had the earthquakes hitting Turkey and Turkey needed um, the assistance from the international community and tried to keep everybody out but obviously couldn't handle the, the crisis, believers were the ones who were figuring out how to get it over the borders and immediately uh, within the church networks that do exist in Turkey. So they were being the hands and feet of Christ, bringing in food and shelter and a cup of cold water in Jesus's name into southern Turkey. And they were recognized for their efforts because they were the ones who were being most effective at the time. So continue to pray because there are still opportunities. Pray for courage for these believers because it's it's getting more and more difficult um, to come in as, say, a vocational worker, bivocational, uh, to come in from the outside and and maybe teach or disciple um, new believers or plant churches. It's it's that's becoming a real challenge. It's a um it's a good roundup story. Um, you guys can read it at missionnews.org. Um, I love I love the walk off at the end and how you know God is opening the eyes of unbelievers by the love demonstrated by Christians and it just reminds me Ruth that I mean they will know we are Christians by our love in a in what has become not only here in the United States but around the world I mean it's a pre-Christian culture uh, and so it's a fresh opportunity to demonstrate the love of God um, through sacrificial giving and um, yeah, and so God's, I mean, you know, this is going to be the day of salvation for some, and so we celebrate that. Take us to um, Sudan. The headline here is over half of Sudan's population needing aid. Um, just remind us uh, of, of the status of things in Sudan. I mean, we're hoping that there's a ceasefire that's going to hold, but um, but that doesn't change the reality of war on the ground. Should I scoff out loud on, on a ceasefire? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's, you know, every time but because, there's a because you still hear, I mean, it's like there's a ceasefire and yet in the background when you hear journalists talking about it, you can hear gunfire. It's a little bizarre. Yeah, well, 
ceasefire doesn't mean actual peace. Um, this is one of those things where the army and the paramilitary rapid support forces have agreed to uh, a ceasefire. They've actually extended it because they were trying to allow time for the aid convoys to come in uh, to deliver aid to around 2 million people uh, to a certain area. Um, it's one of those things where nobody's really observing it. So you do hear gunfire, you still have shellings. Um, and so you ask the question, you're like, well, what's the point of the ceasefire if they're still fighting? I think there there's enough of a cessation of hostilities in certain areas that uh, the aid can actually get in. Um, and so that's, I guess, in a, in a situation, maybe the best we can hope for right now. Um, <laughs> I, I say, you know, ceasefire, there, there have been multiple ceasefires since the hostilities uh, began. And in none of these situations have they actually meant that nobody's firing at each other or that people uh, didn't die in continued conflict. And that's just one more thing that is is uh, something we can pray about um, because there are ministries that are heavily involved with this. Some of the organizations that are uh, requiring to need to travel in order to do things like translate the Bible in um, in a language that reaches an un, unreached people group or um, maybe a a new uh, version of um, uh, of scripture in the sense that not new version of the scripture, but a new um, audio um, or orality um, in those kinds of translations. Sometimes you have to be on the ground to test this mm -hmm. stuff, to be able to record mm -hmm. this stuff. And the hostilities mean basically that these organizations, these these gospel workers can't get, get where they need to go. So these projects come to a screeching halt while you have all of these other things. Um, sometimes they have to go out of the country because of, of the, the severity of the difficulties, which is what we're seeing. They're joining the refugee uh, population that are fleeing the country and um, finding uh, safety in bordering countries. Uh, continue to pray for these gospel workers who are involved with these projects because they're already behind on the on the timelines they wanted to um, to meet on their deadlines, uh, but they're they haven't given up because they know how important it is to be able to produce some kind of uh, scripture portions of passages of hope uh, in a a person's heart tongue. Um, in so many of the unreached people groups that are in Sudan, it, it, the urgency hasn't left, even though there's a, a huge disruption that, that uh, um, I guess, is the backdrop for context. We've talked um, on prior occasions about what is happening in Iran. Ruth is going to bring us um, an update in terms of what world leaders are encouraging in terms of um, just the the persecution of people of faith, but also the executions of um, of ordinary protesters. That story next here on Mornings with Carmen. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. 
You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the Every Day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can find the articles uh, we're discussing today and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. Ruth, um, take us to Iran. My heart is burdened for uh, Iran. Um, What we're seeing right now is that Iran is quietly stepping up the executions that they've been um, threatening to complete. Um, Last year, executions in Iran rose by 75%. And really, it's just a campaign of fear. They're trying to spread fear among the protesters. Um, The people that they're executing aren't all protesters. There's, you know, many from different walks of life, people that are uh, considered criminals. Of course, the protesters are also considered criminals. So it's kind of unknown where the crossover is on that. But just that this sheer number of executions should really trigger a robust reaction from the international community, from the body of Christ, because we are seeing something here that uh, does not bode well for the future of people who maybe don't toe the line of what the regime is, the ruling regime is saying, uh, this is our identity, this is who we are. Um, In fact, the global community, 100 world leaders, sent a joint letter to the current administration asking them to get tough on Iran because of what is happening there. Um, we're seeing a lot of believers who are uh, trying to bring in hope and peace into the conversations because uh, the Iranians are, young people especially, are dissatisfied with what is happening. They're disillusioned with what is happening and they're asking a lot of questions. So ministries that have things like call centers are just being inundated with new people who are coming to them and saying, I need hope. Where do I find a source of hope? I see your programming. It sounds so unattainable because that is something that I'm searching for. I'm searching for peace. Tell me more about who this Jesus is. And that's something that we can continue to pray uh, uh, grows uh, in its in its uh, influence because um, these so many of the different ministries that are working in Iran are just saying they have people on on the ground and at these call centers who are answering the questions. But because of the volume that is come that are coming in, um, they need more people. And it's not always easy to find people who are um, comfortable with or well uh, well versed enough in God's word to be ready to answer some of these questions that are coming in. So be praying for workers for the harvest, because as we've been hearing for many years now, the body of Christ in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world by just by size of the country. And uh, when you have so many people who are turning to Christ in 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 a new life, um, there there needs to be discipleship because they don't know their way around this new faith. They may not be able to find a Bible um, because of how difficult it is and how the restrictions that are on the church in Iran. The the church itself is underground in Iran because of persecution, because of the issues that it faces uh, from the government level. So just be praying for ministry that continues on, uh, where you know whether it is through media, whether it is through physical things one on one, whether it is through dreams and visions. You know, as God calls Iranians to Himself, um, we we need to be there to answer some of those questions, to be ready with an answer for the hope that we have. 
I, the numbers are pretty extraordinary, Ruth. And, um, you know, every single life is precious and every person is precious. And when you start talking about, you know, on, on pace to execute, uh, you know, five or six or five or 600 or more people in a given year, um, you know, just it's, it's, it would be frightening. It would, it would be extremely frightening um, to, to live in that context. And so thank you for bringing this forward as a burden of prayer. And um, yes, and for those of you who, um, you know, want to encourage um, the executive leadership of this country to press into the conversation related to Iran and its treatment of its own people, um, encourage you to do that as well. Let's, um, let's pivot and, uh, and turn our eye to Ukraine. Um, Ukrainian Christians are, uh, are organizing in, um, in extraordinary ways and serving, um, serving their neighbors. Can you, can you give us this good news story in the midst of, you know, in the midst of war? It's a good news story. And I appreciate that. It really is. Um, this came to us by our partners uh, from Voice of the Martyrs Korea. They were able to talk to a Ukrainian pastor who was uh, actively engaged in, you know, giving from uh, what stores he had to meet needs that were around him as the conflict actually got underway. Um, when they could see that the Russian forces were coming through their area, um, this pastor was urged to leave his village. Um, but God brought to mind a story from Numbers of, about Moses and Aaron who were interceding and turning away God's punishment from his people. So he prayed about it and he said, well, who's going to intercede if if I leave? And so he decided to stay. And interestingly, as he was praying through that, when the Russian forces came through, they actually went around the village. They didn't actually attack his village. They went around it. And uh, uh, and so he was grateful for that. But then he saw that as they went through, food was starting to get really scarce. So he and his wife put together what they had in their stores and they made 30 loaves of bread. And so they went around and just kind of distributed the bread to the people who needed it in their village. And uh, as a result, people said, well, I don't have enough to make bread. This is really a good thing to do for your community. But I have flour or I have uh, you know, um, some other ingredients that can that can help with the making of bread. One farmer brought in 60 liters of milk, you know, and somebody else mm -hmm. found yeast to supply. And so they, they brought all this stuff to this pastor of a small church. And over the next 10 days, this pastor and members of his community made about um, 160 loaves of bread. <laughs> Yeah. They made 160 loaves of bread from this, and they were able to distribute it to people who needed food during the occupation. And uh, the government then got wind of it, and they said, well, we know we, we heard you had some bread. There's another village near you that needs food. Do you have enough to supply them? And, you know, take they, they just they, – they got the directions for that, and they were able to take the food into yet another small village. And this is just an example of one church that said, what more could I do? You know, what more could God do through us if we just said yes? It really feels like, you know, the story of the loaves and fishes and how God blessed as a result of that, how he multiplied what was given freely. And this is just one of those stories that continues to encourage people. You know, this this came through our partners, again, Voice of the Martyrs Korea, because VOM Korea is intimately involved in what's happening through uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. As we hear continued stuff about the uh, the conflict that is happening, keep in mind 
that there are believers on both sides of the border. We talk a lot about Ukraine's churches, but the Russian churches are also responding in in kind, and they are grieved by what is happening. There, there is a a a long road ahead for reconciliation between Ukraine's churches and Russian churches, but at the same time. There are church leaders that are coming out of their countries, meeting in neutral locations and praying together for an end to this conflict. Mm. It's um, God is on the move and his people are in the midst of all of it. Ruth, as always, thank you so much um, and encourage you guys to um, read widely uh, what is posted at missionnews.org. There's a piece about some things happening on the U.S.-Mexico border in terms of Christian engagement there. Um, Also an update on things happening in Syria. And even as uh, people are exhausted by the opportunity, they are not growing weary in their doing of good. So let's be supporting them, not only with our prayers, but with uh, with the resources that are necessary for the meeting of the need. As always, um, we're grateful for you, Ruth. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. You're going to hear across uh, network news today, um, if you didn't hear it yesterday, that the nation of Uganda um, has passed a law criminalizing um, uh, specific expressions of, uh, of of sexual behavior, including expressions of homosexuality. And you're going to hear, including the uh, president of the United States, um, declaring Uganda's law um, a violation of, quote, universal human rights, which should lead us to ask, like, what what are universal human rights and from whom are they derived? Like, where do they come from? Um, and when you talk about universal human rights, you must be talking about things that are true of every person in every place across all of time. And so what are those and who grants them? In the United States, we consider them uh, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But what what are universal human rights and who gives them? And is it a universal human right to um, pervert the good gift of sex that God gave on purpose and for a purpose at the very beginning of creation. These are the kinds of questions we have to ask when we hear the headlines of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.